0: Hey guys, welcome to the Hustle and Grind podcast. Jason's back, and I'm here with Ryan again. And we have another super cool, awesome special guest in here with us today. We got Josh Weston from uh, Survival Cuffs, uh, Forged in Fire, uh, The Blade Show Build. All kinds of cool stuff you got going on, man. We're going to get into every little bit of that. Uh, but I, I am going to point out one thing that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I told my wife, you know, every time I record, she... You know, asked, do we have a guest, all this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, Josh Weston's going to be on. She kind of looked at me funny. Like, she recognized the name, right? I was like, yeah, remember the Blade Show build guy? You know, the one that made the knife at the show. She's like, oh, the guy with the big hair, the nice hair. I was like, yep, that's him. <laughs> so yeah, I,
1: that's one of the things that uh, people, I can't wear hats anywhere. You guys are both wearing hats. I can't wear hats, you know. Yeah, you got it. It looks like a
2: pompadour almost.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's kind of become its own thing. Um, it, j- it does what it wants. You know, it does what it wants. It has a mind of its own, and it just does it. It makes <laughs> me miss my mullet for sure.
0: <laughs> it makes me miss hair. I hadn't been able to grow that in for a long time.
1: <laughs> so, what's going on, guys? How y'all doing today? I'm good. It's July 3rd. I went out and spent a bunch of money on fireworks today. So, you know. Hopefully it doesn't rain all day tomorrow. Yeah, you're going to pop them off tomorrow? Yeah. So, yeah, I'll wait Wait for the actual holiday. I did have a cousin who woke up and sent a Snapchat out to the family saying happy 4th of July. And then he got ridiculed for the rest of the day because he got the date wrong. So try not to be that guy.
0: Yeah, we had like a citywide festival last night here in town for oh, the 4th. Yeah. Uh, just because I always do it, you know, the closest Saturday. But fireworks were going nuts, and they're going to do it again tonight, and they'll do it again yeah. tomorrow. I mean, it sounds like a war zone here around uh, Fourth of July and uh, New Year's Eve. Any, where are you guys at? I'm in South Georgia, so okay, any excuse man. for rednecks to South shoot off fireworks, rednecks. they're taking. Yeah,
1: it. I live in Charleston, so every holiday is firework crazy. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, they they have a shipping container that they convert to a fireworks store. <laughs> And uh, the people just live next neighborhood up. And, um, you know, so many fireworks in the neighborhoods just in my section that they just put up a little temporary store through the, you know, you got Memorial Day, Flag Day, um, Fourth of July. And, you know, you got all these holidays going together. You got, uh, what do you got? What is it when they... Do we we had D, D Day right? We just had that, or is that later? Or Victory in Japan Day, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Any day, <laughs> any day that ends in Y down here is a fireworks day. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, it's always fun. What about you, Ryan? You popping off any fireworks? I'm not. I'm too cheap. Yeah, so we just stood on the porch we and watched them around the neighborhood last night.
2: Yeah, my neighbor he lives like diagonal out behind me, but he uh, he probably set off a thousand dollars worth. I bet last night. Um, fireworks were illegal here until 2012. Oh, now it's crazy, I bet. Yeah, so now, like, every chance people get, they're pop, 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 all the time.
1: Are daggers still
2: illegal in your state? I know that there's nope. some weird things, but no, daggers are cool? Yep, they changed the law, oh, geez, probably around the same time as the fireworks law. Um, we weren't allowed to have spring-assisted knives for a long time. Um, daggers were illegal. Um, brass knuckles. The only thing they kept was brass knuckles. We're still not allowed to have them. Now,
1: I was recently going over some state knife laws because of survival cuffs. And um, we're having a lot of interest from California because of the nature of their laws. So we're actually working on a page designed specifically for California customers because we're legal there. Um we're actually legal on college campuses unless they have an ordinance against any knives at all, which California so a lot of them do but but you can actually wear our cuffs on most California college campuses um, but because of the size of the blade and due to the fact that it is open carrying a sheath on the wrist, It is legal anywhere where it is legal to carry a knife in California. Survival cuffs are legal. Uh, Currently, check your local knife laws and stuff like that, but I was going through it. One of the things I found interesting that is very tricky about California law is that they consider anything like spring assist or anything that looks like a folding knife to be classified as a... um, the word was the word with the thing switch, switch blade. Yep, yeah, if it looks like a folding knife, they classify it as a switch blade, and that's illegal. Which is really kind of tricky and totally effed because in the knife world, those are they're two different things. You know, a folding knife that you would put in your pocket is definitely not a switchblade but california yeah. deems it to be so so very tricky knife laws going on um in the various places of the u.s new york has some real funky stuff maryland um and i think is it vermont or seeing a, seeing a trend here yeah somewhere else in new <laughs> england yeah high city populations weird knife laws
0: yeah So, Josh, some people uh, may not know exactly what a survival cuff is. Why don't you break that down? I wasn't familiar with it until a few years ago. And being able to see them in real life, you know, that kind of explained it more. But for people that might not know what that is, what is a survival cuff and how is
1: it kind of bypassing those laws? So um, essentially what a survival cuff is is a small knife that you carry on your wrist. And originally I was kind of going with the uh, I call them wrist cuffs, but Amber um Kohler, uh Amber Combat Survivalist, uh Naked and Afraid, she likes to wear one. Mm-hmm. And she's just started calling them the survival cuffs. So she kind of coined that name for us, which was really cool. Um essentially it's a wallet and a knife sheath on your wrist. And it's not super big. It's not as big as a gauntlet. We do have a version that holds a five and a half inch knife, but then we have the smaller version um, that has a, and and by five and a half inch knife, it's a two and a quarter inch blade still. And then the Raptor, the small one that looks like a claw is only a two inch blade, but there's a sheath on the front and and its front carry. And it has, um, a snap open or a um, pouch wallet behind the sheath and you just strap it onto your wrist and you're ready to go. And it meets visibility requirements. So as long as it's uh, for California, if it's visible to the people around you, then it's considered open carry. So in California, you can't actually carry, um, it, it, it seems, and I'm not an attorney my wife is, and she looks at the things. So from what we could tell is if you put our knife in your pocket or you hit it in a coat or something like that, it is immediately you can't carry it in California. Um, so there's are super um, – an and open carry, I really – I guess maybe I would say is visible carry. If you can't see it, you probably can't carry it in California. So if you can see it and you aren't using it as a, a weapon – um, and you don't have intent. If you're not brandishing it around, then uh, those are some legal things. So uh, it's a fun little thing. It's um, something that I made because I I, I work with my hands and um, I don't like to have a ton of things in my pocket. So for me, it was just handy to have a knife on my other hand that I could just and uh, pull out and use and then stick back. And uh, especially the, the larger cup version has a little bit of a defense characteristic about it, whereas most knife carries don't. So um, it, originally I kind of was thinking I wore a lot of neck carry, knives, but you know, the older I got, the more chest hair I got, the swampier, <laughs> like, you reach in to pull out your, you know, you hide it under your shirt and you reach in there and you're ripping out hair too. And the eyelets from the Kydex or, or the leather in there, it just, um, I didn't love it. And then if you go to run and you don't have it in your shirt, it's flapping around all over the place. So the reliability of being able to grab it and it is where you want it when you need it, it isn't there with neck carry. So uh, I can control my offhand and put it, I can bring it right over to the hand that wants to pull it, or I can, you know, I can access this in any way as long as I can get to my other hand. And so it was more control to be able to remove a knife quickly when I needed it. And um, with the way that we leather up and the types of leather that we use, that larger one, I've actually got a video on instagram that shows me taking a knife and trying to stab through the wrist cuff and it doesn't even make it through two full layers the other nice thing about it is that you can take one of those metal survival cards like a grim survival and you can stick it in the wallet portion so now you also have a piece of metal and the leather between you and someone so if you needed to take a couple knife blows on the wrist or one of them right there uh, you could you could be able to handle that and that might give you the edge that you need at the end if you are in a situation where you have to defend yourself. So there's that as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: a cool concept. How'd you come up with something like that? I, yeah, mean- I
1: was just flying somewhere. Uh, I was actually flying up to do my final testing on Forged in Fire and um, I had been thinking about it and I finally just had, you know, an hour and a half or two hours to draw. And I just pulled out my sketchbook and kind of went crazy. He sketched a few ideas. And then when I came back from that, uh, I went into making some test models. And actually, I think, um, Jay Nielsen has a couple of my, he has one or two of them, um, an early on version and then a second version and, Doug has one. Doug liked the idea, but he wanted belt buckles, like little, you know, the little buckles and uh, like you would see on a watch right. and I didn't want to go, I didn't want to, you know, I came up with a different system for it that was a little bit more secure than that, that little belt buckle stuff. But uh, I do have some of that in the play because I had a lot of requests for a watch attachment, a compass attachment, or an ankle version so I am over the next two years going to change some things uh, next year I'm, I'm working on a bushcraft knife version I actually had the prototype at blade show I didn't show it to a ton of people but just a little bushcraft knife the handle screws off so you can put some hooks or uh, a couple water purification tablets inside or some cordage or some firelight. something that'll strike. you know um, that you can use you know, take your, your knife back in a ferro rod and you have um, some Vaseline soaked cotton or some shit in there that will catch on fire. And you've got a little bit to survive on, which is kind of the goal is that it's not that you could live forever on one of these, but my thinking behind them is if you were totally naked out in the woods somewhere or you had nothing else but this cuff, Would it be a a sort of minimal tool set that you could survive for three days where you could, uh, you know, source some water or purify some water or make a fire or do some basic things that would help you make it those three days, which are the toughest three days of survival is if you can make it past those first three, then you can go a little bit further. So that's the idea behind them is not. Necessarily long-term, but that three-day, you're on a hike, you've lost everything else, you've got this, or you didn't want to take a backpack, so you went for a hike, and at least you have this thing, and then if you, you know, so, yeah. Well, freaking cool, idea. man. That is awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: nice. And you can accessorize it how you want. If you're a, a fishing survivalist, keep one of those Grim Survival fishing cards in. If you're a, you know, you want some spear tips in there or whatever, put that in there, you know, carry that with a, I've been working on a bushwhacker thing where the handles come off and inside are hooks and uh, not hooks, but arrowheads and cordage that are in hidden containers inside the skeleton of the handle. And I actually put an arrow reaming, an arrow shaft reaming hole in the blade. So you can actually twist a stick that's like, you know, cut down to size. It's pretty close to the whole shape already, but you can twist it through this arrow shaft reamer and it makes the whole thing the same thickness. And then it's real easy to straighten out. You can fire treat it a little bit, pop one of the arrowheads from inside the handle on, put some cordage on a bow shaft that you get from somewhere that you carve up and boom, now you have a hunting implement that gives you some range beyond the knife that you have so now your survival is taking some steps forward which is pretty interesting yeah I love that idea I may or may not have a version of that on a naked and afraid (laughs) right now may or may not you didn't hear it from me yeah we all know what that means
0: so (laughs) uh, I've talked to you several times on Instagram lives and stuff like that and you're always talking through like a camera guy. I'm curious as to uh, how's that work? You know, like I'm asking a question, he's reading it to you. Who is this behind the camera <laughs> and, and how does all that work together?
1: Um, so bro cousin is who you're talking about. Um, bro. He's, Cousy. Yeah. He's my cousin. Okay. Um, his name's Andy Bennett, um, uh, mom's side cousin. And, uh, we've just been up to shenanigans for a long time. And, um, he, he was working corporate America. We both worked corporate America for a while, and I kind of gave up before him and switched on. And then um, a year or two ago, he started working with me. And so we do a lot of stuff together, and he kind of moderates and does that. But we get up to a lot of shit together, and um, and he just kind of helps make that happen. He's, he's a cool dude, a, a lot of fun. Um, we're in and out of a lot of trouble. The two of us have both been injured a lot of times doing – stupid stuff it know. happens since we were kids you know i he was i think i i was ish when he was born and i remember the not the it might not have been the first time but i remember the first time we connected he was in a little crib right and i'm just this little kid um on the short side of things and i looked over the edge of that crib and and we just instantly made this connection and i just knew that we were going to be friends not just cousins, you know, but, but friends for our life and the age difference when we were younger is oftentimes a bigger deal. You know, by the time I'm 12, he's still only six by the time I'm 18, he's 12. And it never seemed to just never seemed like there was an age difference there, which might have, might have, (laughs) might have encouraged, um, you know, there were times where maybe we were doing some things that weren't totally age-appropriate for him because I was older and it just kind of seemed like we were the same. But, uh, yeah, he's a cool dude. Now we're both, you know, older and uh, can age-appropriately get into all the fun together. But, yeah, he's he's a good dude.
0: Really is. Really is. So does uh, he's obviously shooting the videos and things like that. Is he helping with the edits
1: and stuff like that too? Uh, sometimes. He does some of it, but I do still do most of it myself. I'm a very picky creative. I worked in that world professionally for – well, I still work in it. Um, you know, I always keep one foot in. But I um, have worked professionally as a creative director, art director, you know, threw up all of those levels. So I'm picky. Um, I wish I could still honestly do more, but that's the – the fight and the struggle for me is the amount of stuff that I want to do. I'm just never going to be able to hit. So kind of one of my goals, the thing that I realized years ago was if I could just build a team, I could accomplish more in the short amount of years that I have to live because there's no way I can accomplish all the things in my head. So I have to be able to pass those, some of those ideas off to other people and allow them to run with them there are a lot of creatives and a lot of people out there that just can't come up with things. They can accomplish things. They can do things. They can build things if they have a plan, but envisioning them isn't always, you know, isn't everyone's strong suit. And I'm kind of tortured by that. It's um, it's a blessing and a curse because my mind is just endlessly occupied. But I also know I'll just never be able to do all of the things in my head. And that's, Uh, If I fixate on that too much, it gets kind of depressing. Right.
0: I'll tell you what, man, your editing skills are awesome. Thank you. There was one video that you put up right after Blade, and I saw the video. And then uh, we'll get to what the video was in a minute here. But the same video came up with just a little bit of edit going on in it and some music. And, man, it put real fucking emotion into a 60-second clip. Yeah. You know, I mean, just when I saw it the first time, I was like, oh, damn, that sucks. Yeah. I saw it the second time with the music. I'm like, oh, my God,
1: Josh. (laughs) I I, I stepped away after that moment, and I walked out to the parking lot, and I found a little shaded door uh, in between the main entrance, you know, that parking lot that goes down around to the front of the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. um, And there's a little – stairwell that goes down into somewhere. I don't know. I just parked in there for about an hour and I just, uh, maybe not an hour, 45 minutes. And I just edited some stuff out. Uh, yeah, I got to do it. You know, I, at blade, it's like you film stuff and then you gotta, you gotta edit and go, edit and go, edit and go. I don't like to wait till after blades done to push my content out. So I'm building a thing. I'm selling survival cuffs. I'm trying to get this knife to happen. I'm running into roadblocks. I'm meeting people. Um, I'm networking. And then I'm also editing videos on the fly as much as I can. So it's a, it's a crazy day for me of running around. I, I I can tell the difference. I I don't know if I still have it, but my, um, my name card, you know, those things that they give you, Mm Mm-hmm. It's just shredded. It's just in absolutely (laughs) shredded in terrible condition. And as we were leaving, I noticed, I was looking around at the other vendors going, how the fuck do they keep their shit so clean? Well, they're not on the floor quenching a knife and grinding knives and, you know, uh, doing all this weird stuff. And um, so I guess that that does make a difference. But Blade Show for me is, uh, it's a, it's a, three-day sprint you know three or four-day sprint uh, when you're also vending and you're building a knife on the floor i guess it's more like four days because you come in thursday and you leave monday morning so it's just go 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 well let's
0: talk about your build show knife yeah that thing it it didn't turn out quite how you
1: expected no but it it worked it did work and I, i actually really like the end result, I think it was ended up being a better knife design than the original one that I had forged um, and made. So that was a plus. But the journey to get it there was not, it was not a super fun year. It wasn't, uh, oh, this is going well. Let's do the next thing. Oh, this is going well. Let's do the next thing. It was m- more like, this is going fairly well. We're making progress and then we're going two or three steps backwards. And, um, by mid Saturday, I think I was done. I wanted to, just wanted to be done, you know? And, um, uh, and, and that's where the, the community steps in. But prior to all that, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what blade show build is, this is now the third or fourth. This is the, was the fourth knife that I made on the floor. At Blade Show, and um, you say that to people and they still don't quite get it. And um, and I was having a conversation with um, Teal Wild and Free that's her Instagram thing and Melissa Backwoods, who um, admins a lot of the Blade Show content, she works for Blade, Mm -hmm. and um, so we're standing by the escalators in the pit, and um. And she's asking, Teal's talking about it, and she goes, wait a second, you're you're making a knife, which booth are you at? Which booth are you making your knife at? And Teal goes, oh, no, no, no. He doesn't make it at a booth or a table. He's just all over the floor. It's just vendor-supplied stuff, and it just kind of hit her. Um, I was like, wait, what? That's really bizarre. I want to cover that, and we were never able to sync up this year, but they did repost so much of my stuff. Uh, but that's the challenge of it is that I show up with a backpack with, with basically first aid stuff because I've been cut a few times and, um, in a way to, so I have a way to carry things and I just go around to different vendors and in exchange for me covering their product or their service or whatever it is, they give me something toward the, the build. And then I tried to assemble that into a completed knife by the time blade show ends. So it's all vendor supplied. It's all made from stuff on the floor. It's all made from equipment there just to showcase that. Yes, there are a lot of makers there and a lot of people make knives, but none of us could actually do that. None of us could get there with that finished product without. The material suppliers, without the equipment manufacturers, that exist to make our lives and our trade possible. So that's that's kind of at the heart of what it is and why I did that. And uh, the rules are more like guidelines. You know, um, the last last year I did it. What was last year? Twenty twenty one. I actually had to spend. I had some vendors that you know. Um, didn't want to give stuff. So I, I spent some money on a sheath, like a lot of money on a sheath that didn't end up fitting. And um, uh, the, the last two years, I haven't been able to get a kiln set up to work properly, including this year, which has led to changes and shifts in being able to get, you know, the quality heat treat. That's the hardest thing. The hardest thing is getting the heat treat right uh, on a blade show build, because if you can't, it, it, there's, there's no fire source allowed on the floor. I actually think Atlas Knife and Tool tried to light up one of their forges and do some stuff, and immediately they were shut down. So it, that's a challenge. How do you heat treat something that you can't get up to critical? So fortunately, this year, coal iron works. They saw me do this last year and they went, we are going to uh, sort of design our booth around making sure that you can come play. And of course, they let a lot of people try their stuff out, which was really cool. Um, But it kind of sparked that with them. And so they brought in a um, induction forge. And so I was able to take the steel that New Jersey Steel Baron, um, they've graciously given me steel for the last couple builds. And um, they gave me enough that if I messed up, I could start again. And um, so I took it over there, uh, forged some stuff out. But, you know, immediately it was like a new cool thing. I've never got to forge a blade while at Blade Show. Uh, and this year I could. So I took it over there, used the press. But there's, um, there's a challenge to it. And um, the challenge is really kind of. Uh, oh, I should show you my sketch. I don't know where it is. It's in a sketchbook, but I've got this crazy drawing that's sort of like my mind map of Blade Show Build, right? So you get there and it's like, what am I going to make? And people ask you, what are you going to make this year? Well, I don't know what I'm going to make because I don't know what people are going to give me. Am I going to get a two inch piece of steel? Am I going to get 16 inches of steel? Is it going to be one inch wide by an eighth inch thick? Is it going to be a quarter inch by three inches? I don't know. So until stuff gets put in my hand, I have no idea what it's going to be. So I just have to make everything up on the fly. So I get my steel, I go over there, the steel that I'm given doesn't fit inside the induction coil, they only got one coil, so I had to take it to a grinder, I had to trim it down and grind off all of the corners and edges so that I could fit it into the coil. Um, Once I got that done, I couldn't add any width. So the the drawing that I had made immediately wasn't going to work because I couldn't make it any wider than that coil and my design was wider than the coil. So now I have to shift again. Now it's sort of this long skinny weird thing. I've also never used the digital controller on a coal iron before so I was playing with that and taking time to use that which by the way I don't know if either of you got to experiment or play with that digital controller but that thing is amazing. Imagine If you didn't have to worry about kiss plates or, um, you know, when you're squishing, you'll never have over squishes again because you can set the minimum drop plus the max. So you can set the range that it squishes in. If you want your steel to be one inch thick, it's going to be it. Now, if you use kiss plates, even if you put a kiss plate, let's say you put a kiss plate on this side, it's still because the push you're going to be a little tighter on one side and it's going to warp that blade a little bit. Well, not warp, but it's gonna, uh, it's going to curve it out. If you put kiss plates on both sides of your paddles, now you've reduced and limited the amount of space that you have to work in on your press and whatever size dies you have now get a lot shorter. This takes care of all of that. So if you want it, if you want to put in distal taper by math and putting in dimensions, You got it right there. So I had to adjust to that. Um, I had a bunch of, there were a bunch of old guys, uh, hanging around the press while I was forging and they kept pressing the buttons when I turned my back. Uh, There were twice where I ended up over squishing because they re- they zeroed it out and I stepped on it and it was like, Blomp. so and that was a 25 ton and it just moved through. So I ended up having some mistakes in there like that. It was actually very challenging with the amount of people there who wanted to see how it worked and what was going on and um, the, with the settings just shifting. Uh, it was very chaotic, but I was able to forge something out. Um, before I forged something out, I had to see what handle material I could get. Uh, Jance gave me some handle material, and I wanted to use these 316 pins, um, the torque pins. Uh, I wanted to actually just use no epoxy this year and screw on, screw off. So I got some of them, and the handle material selection there, they have good handle material selection, but I was trying to find – Um, Some more specific things and they didn't have quite matching sets in the size that I was looking for. Uh, So when it came down to it, um, I did find some stuff. I started moving forward. I got the holes drilled in by Milner. Um Milner makes an incredible set of drill bits. They're for high speed drilling, they're for drilling through high carbon steel, so it's perfect for knife makers, you know. And um boom, 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 they popped holes in and I I brought my kiln from home, which was is a Gen Ken kilns, which was, you know, so there's rules and then there are also kind of guidelines. Uh so I brought it, we rented a house so that I could plug in to the dryer plug. I, I didn't have the same plugs, so I had to swap plugs. I wired it wrong. I couldn't get the kiln over 600 degrees. So after th- three hours of that and messaging back and forth to people, I just said, fuck it. I went back to the floor, and I just tried to do it in the induction forge at Coal Iron. It was really hard to get the length of blade that I had, totally even heat. All I had was water, so I'm quenching eighty CRV 2 in a bucket of dirty water on the floor at blade show. Um, I, uh, and, uh, and it overhardened surprise. And so, uh, no cracks showed initially, but when I put it in my backpack, in my sketchbook and by the time I walked over to, uh, I think I'd use Broadbeck the first day to do the rough profiling. Um, but I was finishing on Birkin they had a ginormous they had a, like a 20 inch wheel so I was trying to put a slight hollow in and and I just started grinding and, I mean it just like Moses parting the the Red Sea just a massive cavity on the spine of that blade just pulled it right off so um, at that point I was pretty much done I was like fuck this um, this is part of knife making, and I thought I will just talk about that in my coverage that, hey, not every knife can be successful and just call it quits. And I was at the coal iron booth with um, with Colin Miller and Will Stelter, and Colin's like, yeah, yeah, we're done, uh, and we're going to go drink. So he took the knife that was there, and he snapped it over his leg. And, and i was like, sweet, that was it. And then Will Stelter grabs it, and he goes, no, 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 no. We don't make mistakes. We just make shorter knives. And he redrew a new profile on it, and he goes, get back to work. And he gave me some paracord. He's like, just make it a wrap handle. So um, that's and that ended up being what I did. And, I mean, I, I was – I'm not making as big of a deal out of this as as I, I just I did feel crushed. I was I was bummed. I sat in the parking lot for a little while. I was really really um I was really upset because I I, I don't like to not be successful. And um, I've had all these people give me stuff and um, so many people following and that was what was cool. So many people were writing in while this was happening as I'm posting about what's going on. And telling me, no, keep going, keep doing it. We're excited to see where this goes. We want to see it finished. And it really did give me the motivational energy to complete the task. Because I really, at that point, didn't want to. It was just, it just been such a frustrating build. Um, there were things wrong with the handle. I used a, uh, what do you call this, a surface grinder. I used the surface and grinding attachment at Broadbeck. Um, and nothing against their surface grinding attachment. It worked great, maybe too great because I went a little bit crazy and, um, it was my first time also using a surface grinding attachment to, to do this. And I got angles wrong and I ended up reverse tapering my handle, um, which didn't look great. It was still, I think minimally, if I, if I hadn't taken another pass, it was just barely thick enough to be a legitimate handle. It still would have worked, um, but it didn't matter because it cracked, and so I wasn't able to use it and um, um, remade it. So it was just it was just thing after thing that had just kind of plagued the build. And um, Will Stelter's positivity was it was really quite infectious. He's a really cool person. Um I don't know if you got a chance to hang out with him or um people who don't know, but Will's he's a good he's a good guy. Yeah. Um and uh so it was just what I needed to get back going. And um I reground it and um I had to take it back over to Milner and have them drill holes in it. I was really very worried about that because clearly the blade had been overly stressed out and overly hardened, um, you know, with, with the water. Like it was, it was such a fast, fast quench. And I was worried about the temper job on it and if it worked enough to, um, take the edge out. So I did take it back to the house I rented Saturday night and I tempered it, um, And then I did two cycles and then I brought it back Sunday and had the whole handle round to go on Sunday. But I did most of the grinding the rest of the day, the day Saturday. And, um, and I can't believe just super impressed at those Milner bits that they were able to dig through. Now what was part of the blade? We aren't, we aren't just in handle territory anymore. We're in, we're in new hardened zone. I mean, and it just, those things chewed right through it, which was awesome. Um, flying shark knives, uh, loaned me, loaned me, gave me, donated some really beautiful handle material. He's like, Hey, I saw what happened. Here's an upgrade in handle material, beautiful stuff. So I started grinding that and the vendors around were like, fuck no, we've put up with enough shit from you. Uh, The grinding of the metal was okay. (laughs) The cameras, the people around, like, that was one thing. This is a totally different thing. Stop. So I got about, I don't think I even got all the way halfway through grinding that handle out. And I had to stop. And it was too late in the show for anyone to drag a grinder outside. So that didn't happen. So I, that was it. Like, I've got this sharp knife, no handle. So, you know, it's like, fuck, do I find another, do I like keep trying to grind the handle and just go from grind station to grind station and piss off vendors across the floor of blade show, or just do something else. And, uh, once again, Teal wrote me, she saw what was going on and, um, she had this stuff called, uh, Cambria or Chambria from, uh, Corvus survival. Um, who got it from Joe Flowers, part of Condor. He, he does stuff for Condor, but he's uh, Bushcraft Global. It's the stuff that's made in South America. It's from fiber, natural fibers. Um, really cool stuff. Uh, so I went over to his booth, and we cut up a Sharpie in half, put it on either side of the knife with some super glue, and then we just took the stuff and wound it up. Down and then back up the handle and um, pulled it through. And it made a really nice, secure, and actually very comfortable handle uh, for that blade and, and kind of fit very well. Uh, adorned it with a death bunny from PNW Bushcrafters. And then, um, and that was basically it. At that point, it was done, but I wanted to do a sheath. So I went over to Tandy Leather. And Bill over at Tandy Leather made us a sheath on the spot, folded some stuff over, did some stitching. So this is the first year that I had a sheath made for it instead of just trying to fit it in something or throwing it in a zipper pouch. So kind of cool. It came together. I think there there was an hour left of the show, maybe. No, I think 44 minutes left in the show when the sheath was done and it was all put together. So it was the longest build to date that it took me
0: and what do you do with the knife when it's done you auction it off or sell it outright or you what,
1: what happens yeah i just i auction it off on my instagram um put it up for sale and um this year i don't know it's like 260 bucks something like that it never goes for that much you know, to, to be honest um it's cool and it's interesting, but it's not an expensive knife. You know, it's made on the floor. The heat treat's quen- questionable right. at best. So I don't ever expect that they go for that much money. But um, most of the time, uh, up until this year, I've stayed pretty cheaply at Blade Show. You know, I don't usually even get a hotel room or anything. I just kind of um, make do. So, you know, 260 bucks goes a long way toward that but um this year I, I did have a place and you know I was selling I had the survival cups there so it wasn't as desperate of a situation so whatever it went for it went for and it was kind of was a cool thing and um what was awesome about it was just the community popping out and the amount of people who follow along with it that are interested and go you know they want to see success it's interesting to watch somebody fail nobody wants to watch somebody fail without arcing up and recovering um and coming to so and i didn't have it i didn't have it to do it on my own um this year i just didn't have the the mental capacity so it was really quite helpful all the people that stepped in all of the vendors that did um give stuff and make that happen uh i can't thank them enough i have a lot of fun doing this it's um it's very stressful but it's fun And uh, it's something I I explain to my kids because they they wonder about that. Uh, Same thing with hard work. You know, I've been telling them hard work can be fun. Like, what do you mean? Hard work is hard work. It's like, no, hard work uh, is there's a reward to it. There is a fun to it. You just have to embrace that. And it's not not masochistic. It it is not self-torture. It's a good thing. You know, just like being hungry can be good. You know, uh, they they often, especially in in America today, we're so. I know we've now have gone philosophical. Sorry, we're not talking about <laughs> that. Anymore. We're talking about mental strength. Hey, we talk about all
0: kinds of random shit on this show, so
1: the floor is yours. Yeah, but but being hungry is a good thing. It, it knowing that you need to eat and not having anything in there is good for you. And then uh, you'll appreciate it all the more when mealtime comes around. If you're just endlessly living on snacks all day, you're so overbloated, you can't even appreciate the food that's been put in front of your face that somebody else has worked on. So being hungry, to the, my kids was like, oh, Dad, I'm hungry. and I'm like, good. It's good to be hungry. You should be hungry for many hours a day. You should be able to go you know, a decent amount of time without having to feed yourself and um, you know I, I just hate that, that people have l- lost a lot of that appreciation for going through the hard things and not to say that I'm a master at it because sometimes the hard things
0: alright and we're back a little thunderstorm break but uh, we're going to put the two halves together here we go where would we leave off, guys? That was crazy. I don't remember. It was forever. I don't either. <laughs> Dude, so speaking of thunderstorms, I went deep sea fishing for the first time this past weekend. Got back yesterday. Um, and we got caught in the middle of a squall like 40 miles offshore where you, can, you look all the way around 360. Can't see no land. I've never been on the ocean before. And we're in like this 40-foot long boat. And all of a sudden, the world turns black, and it starts to rain, and the rain feels like needles. So I'm like pulling my fishing hat down over my ear, turning my head, and I look up. My two buddies that I'm with, they're gone. They don't went to the back of the boat because they're experienced. They know that back there, by those three big giant motors, it stays pretty calm. Yeah. I'm all the way up on the front, dude, and these jumping, these You're waves. Going like
1: this. Boom, 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 boom.
0: I was so scared. Like, I had a grip on the sides of the seat. It was like a two person wide seat. But every time the boat would come up, I'd land on a different part of the seat. Dude, I was praying to God for like an hour straight. Like, please just let me live through this. I was looking around like at the cooler. Well, if we flip, I can float on that cooler lid for quite a while. (laughs) It got serious. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, that's
2: so my worst nightmare. The anymore.
0: important question is:
1: Did you catch any fish?
0: We caught a lot of fish. Nice. What'd you get? We got red snappers. We got groupers. Um, I caught a trigger fish That was pretty fun. And uh, something called a scamp. I believe it's a different type of grouper. Right. Uh, oh. Caught a few of those. But what sucked is when we got back to the back to the dock, it the weather was so bad we had to like run up and get under this pavilion. Normally it was a chartered fishing trip. So normally they lay all the fish out on the dock and everybody poses and takes the pictures. We didn't get none of that. didn't get any of that. No, no. They, they threw our fish in the back of a pickup truck, hauled ass down the road with them. And we had to go pick them up once they were cleaned, yeah. which kind of sucks because we're pretty sure we lost a few fish in that yeah. transfer there. But we oh, had God, a blast. This is
2: a nice one. <laughs> it will, my
0: We caught three of those uh, scamps. And the captain was telling us on the boat, like you know, this is some of the best eaten fish. All the locals love this stuff. Well, when we picked up our catch, everything was separated. There was only two fillets. So two fillets off of three, three foot long fish. You know that's a little weird.
2: Something's mm-hmm. not right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised at how much hard work that is deep sea fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Like when that fish yeah, gets it, on there, that pole okay. hits the sides even on. A-
1: uh-huh. Even on a calm day, though, when you're not having to fight water or waves or anything, it's um, it's definitely a workout. Well, just reeling the fish up. That was mm-hmm. we're like
0: 200 feet deep, and they fight right. for uh, the first 20, 30 seconds, but after that, it's just like reeling up a cinder block. Yeah. But it was so much fun. It's yeah. it's crazy yeah, once it's crazy. you get old, yeah. too, right? We had a, I guess you call it a guy's trip. It was just me and two of my buddies. Uh, being almost 40 is a lot different than if I'd have took the same trip back in my twenties. Yeah. We went down there, got something to eat and hell, We were trying not to go to bed at like 10 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, yeah. It, it's a lot different being older. Yeah. I went um, to key West. My younger cousin had a bachelor party down there. He's from Florida. And so I don't know. I mean, it was a massive bachelor party. Like, 18 people, probably 15, something like that. And I, a lot of them were my cousins. I have a lot of cousins on my dad's side. So we go down there and two of us, me and a cousin that's a few years younger than me, we were the the old guys on the trip. Um, I think I was 35, 36 at the time. And um, it, it was like, you just can't, you can't keep up with 23 year olds, 26 year olds, you know, Mm-mm. at that age, <laughs> like Danny and I are, we go, look, it, and it was like a five day bachelor party. Who does that? Oh, that's, good Lord. That's insanely long for like, okay, this is going to cost a lot. Here's what we're going to do. Cause Dan and I knew that we didn't have the, we weren't going to be able to, to, to party for five days straight like that. So we, we we get in and we go, we're going to a strip club right away. So we blew all of our strip club money the first night. <laughs> just do it. You have a blast. You have a, a, a really good time for one night doing that. Uh, by day three, I was done with drinking everything. I was just done. Um, we went on a, a um, deep sea. Well, it wasn't deep sea. It wasn't that deep. It was... Far out sea fishing. We went fishing. Um, it was fun. I caught, uh, I did catch a grouper. That was cool. I had to throw it back because I was one day out of season. Oh. So we, we couldn't bring it on the boat. But we had this bet of, you know, you'd like do this thing where everybody throws money in to see who gets the, the, the win. It would have taken the cash, but one day out of season doesn't matter. You can't, it had to be a, a landable fish. So. Right. Um, and uh, I sat by the pool the last two days. Just oh giving tattoos. I mean allegedly um giving tattoos. I didn't actually give any tattoos if you know what I mean, legally in the sense that you think I mean giving tattoos, but I did sit there with a thread and some ink and stab some people for hours. Um just because like, you know, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You can't do that many days, right? It happened <laughs> to be over St. Patty's weekend, you know the Irish bar there? There's a big Irish bar in Key West. Oh, I don't know if you guys, actually, you know what? We didn't talk about you guys having gone to Key West, but there's there's an (laughs) Irish pub there. And the guy does this thing where if you can drink a pint that's topped off with um, some Irish whiskey, if you can do it in under, and I think it's like 1.5 seconds or maybe it's under three seconds, something like that. The whole bar, whoever's in the bar now drinks free for the rest of the day. No one else is allowed in. Everybody drinks free. So, um, we, of course, like just tons of people are doing this challenge. He brings you up on stage and you do the thing. And I get in there and I think that like said it like 13 seconds, ridiculously long. So I beat that. Somebody beats me. I beat that. Somebody beats me. I, I worked it down to about a second and a quarter off the time for a free drink. And I held that. For the rest of the weekend, it stayed as the um, fastest chug. Um, I was really wishing I had this buddy of mine, though, uh, I used to work at an agency with, and he had this throat. He could just open up his throat, and he could literally pour a pint glass straight down his throat into his stomach like that. It's just absolutely, you know, do you guys have friends like that? Anybody that can do it? I I knew a few ladies like
2: that back in the day. I had a buddy whose party trick was he would take a gallon of milk, and he would chug half the gallon of milk, and then he would fill the rest of the gallon of milk that he just chugged with vodka, oh. and, and chug that, no. and that was his whole deal. Every party we ever went to, it was like, James, it's time, and he'd pull out the gallon of milk and the half gallon of vodka, and... Dude, that's make disgusting. you want to puke just watching him.
1: Yeah. And just hearing about it makes me want to hurl all over the place. Although, yeah. if you're going to throw something up, milk,
2: I mean, it's soft, right? <laughs> he wasn't a puker. He never puked it up. Never puked? Never puked.
0: He must have been a good-sized fella to, to gut was, all no, that. Not,
2: not really, but he was a, uh, let's just say alcohol and him were close friends. But the like, milk... He, He's probably in his 40s now, and he's in the physical shape of a 70-year-old. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like he's a raging alcoholic. Yeah, that will do that. Yeah. You'll wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> I can barely handle four
0: drinks anymore. Yeah, it's I've cut back quite a bit, quite a bit. I used to sit here doing this podcast drinking the whole time, every single show. Yeah. But that was a long time ago. I ain't done that in close to a year probably those are yeah. the fun
1: episodes oh my <laughs> man I'm, I'm boring now i drink more water than anything else you know? it's that, that's i keep I, waters on standby the, now yeah it, honestly it's part of the job it's not easy on your body oh. um blacksmithing knife making even if you're just grinding you know you're standing there and you're holding that tight spot and you're rigid for hours mm-hmm. and um And I find that just everything seizes up and you throw alcohol into your system on top of that. You're just drinking more inflammation that just makes your body more miserable. So these days I spend my time figuring out what I can consume that's going to reduce my inflammation. I'd rather drink turmeric in something than drink alcohol uh, if I can because, you know, I, I need to be able to function more than I need to. Um, feel the effects of alcohol or any substance to be honest so uh, that's a weird switch in life when you start to think about the effects you know you're talking about being um, you know as you're aging out and even doing a fishing trip at that age you know there are things like I went to a amusement park Uh, you know my I took my family camping we do a yearly camping trip and we were in Gettysburg this year. So we took a day trip up to Hershey park and we rode rides. It's a thrill park. Um, and I rode basically, I I hung out with my four-year-old and I rode or watched her ride kitty rides the whole time. Because I need to be able to get home and be able to work, and yeah. those signs about neck and back injuries you know if you ever end up with any of those and you try to ride a roller coaster, good luck for the next couple weeks to a month trying to do whatever you do for a living if it's a hard job it doesn't work out, so I don't mind, I'll watch the kids and i'll um chill out, and then I 'll still be able to provide for the family when I get home, but it is it ends up being a serious thing you know people yeah. people don't think about that. Uh, I talk to a lot of fanboy type people who watch the show and they're like, Oh, you've been on there. That's so cool. This, that, and the other thing. And then, uh, you know, part of my business model is putting a hammer in people's hands and getting them to do things. These blacksmith experiences with uh dragon forge experience and Bavarian blacksmith experience and just rail spike knives, just getting people to hammer something, just, just get people to make anything. And usually three or four rounds in, People are like, wow, this is it's a lot more difficult than it looks on TV or on YouTube or whatever, and um, they get a real immediate appreciation for the work that goes into anything that is made out of metal, and um, which is cool to it's cool to see, but it's not something generally you're like, man, it just looks cool. Well, it also hurts, so. <laughs> It, you're gonna get burned. You're gonna get cramped. You're gonna get blisters. You're you're gonna be tired. You're gonna be exhausted, and then you got to do it again tomorrow mm-hmm. or after lunch. Yeah, it never ends.
0: Never no, ends. No so it doesn't end. I remember seeing you on Forged in Fire. Now, I'm personally not a fan of that show anymore. Um, ever since Will left, it just is not the same. And I really hadn't watched a whole lot of it. You know. Closer towards the end of when he left. Mm-hmm. But I remember your episode, and it was funny. So you had an aunt that uh, yeah.
1: wanted to show her friends that you were on TV, right? Yeah. 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 She, um, it was after the first time I was on, between that and when I went back on, she goes, I really want to, you know, it's very religious. Um, I want to be able to show my church group your videos and um, and you on TV, but you swear so much. Uh, do you think you could not swear if you ever go back on so that I can show it to my church group? <laughs> uh, I tried hard. I didn't do very well. Um, it's kind of like my hair. My mouth says what it wants. And my hair does what it wants. You know, the more stressed I get, the more both of those things act up. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but- It's a good time. I was. I think the show has some things interesting about it. Um, I haven't watched in a while, mostly because I changed my cable subscription and I don't have History Channel anymore. But um, I was talking to Nick Rossi at Blade, and he does he MCs for the New England School of Metalworks, and I don't know. Have you ever heard about their challenge? They do a two hour full knife challenge. Um, is it two or is it three? I think it's two hours. It's pretty insane, but you have to hand no press, no power hammer. You're hand forging. Uh, you get a, a 12 inch bar of steel that is one and a quarter or one and a half inch. If it's one and a quarter inch, it, 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 there's different thicknesses three sixteenths or quarter inch, and you have to forge that into a knife, heat treat it, temper it put a handle on it, get it sharp and ready to do a cut test in under two hours. And I thought prepping for forged in fire was challenging. That challenge, that that shows if you can make a knife and you really know what you're doing, you'll be able to complete that build. If you don't know what you're doing, you aren't going to make it. Uh, that is a that is a crazy-ass challenge, and uh, for anyone out there listening, uh, they do it every year in July, so it's coming up in a couple weeks, so pay attention to that coming out, New England School of Metalwork. That is definitely worth covering um, if you're ever looking for another episode to do. Somebody who's done that challenge and um, and or just, like, getting some footage of it because that's a so build. They have, uh, I don't know, seating. What do you call that, like— stadium seating yeah they bring in some stadium seating pack it in with people and they watch four people go head to head in this competition and that that's a rough one i trained three times i tried to do it before i left to do the challenge and not once did i finish in the two hours Uh, i had cracked blades i had um just, just all of them were unfinished. So I, I, coming into it, I wasn't sure I'd actually be able to finish. Um, happily all four of us in the year that I competed, we did finish and we all were able to put knives on the table and yes, they're rough. Um, but I was actually pretty surprised with how well they all came out. But, um, and that, that's a crazy build. That's a real crazy build. And I like those things. I like those real crazy builds. I think it's why I do Blade Show build as well because I like being under the gun. I really enjoy the pressure of it. I like the unknown. I like the challenge. It's one of the things, if if I can say anything good about the show Fortune and Fire Still is that it still does have that element, whether or not I like all the personalities or the setup and the information that I know like behind the show of different things. that's a whole different story, but give people a good challenge. Let them rise to the occasion. Let them test themselves. Let them push their limits, right? It's good for humanity. It's good for people to do that, especially in an age where we're just inundated with media that's like, Take your break. Treat yourself right. Do this like pamper your thing. Be a total snowflake. Be you know it's uh we live in a world that wants everything easier, and I think right now we need to as much as possible embrace more hardship in our lives. Be able to handle more. Be able to do more and push ourselves to the limit. So that's that's kind of what I'm I'm about
2: these days. Let's push. Let's do it. Let's. let's Let's take the hard road. That's awesome. Yeah, we've been we've been talking about having Jamie the Squid on and uh, trying to get Jamie on because he's a fellow mainer also, um, and he's yeah. a part of that. Yeah, school of metal work. huh. Yeah.
1: yeah, get get him on there. Have him talk about that and the other things. Um, I just think that's it's just such a great thing, and it's, um, you know, harder, not easier, harder. Do more with less. Yeah. yeah, That's less. That's less time for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, Josh, we
0: appreciate you being on here with us, man. But before you go, I got to give out some appreciation shouts to our Patreon list.
1: Right on. Let's do it. So so
0: I'm going to go through these real quick. And guys, again, if you want to support our show for as little as a dollar a month, you can go to patreon.com and look up the Hustle and Grind podcast. And even if you don't do that, we still love you. So starting from the bottom of the list Mr. Donnie Dulevich At Jason Moss at Aru Blade Works Brigham Kendall Mark LeBlanc Mark Vanderwerf Bex Armory Todd Harrington Dennis Tyrell Troxclair Custom Cutlery Zachary Sowell Maritime Knife Supply Driver Defense Knives Noah Bloomberg Intiott River Forge Crafty Man Forge Brian Henningkamp at Tortuga Blades, Jared at Echo Blades, Eric Andrews at Sourwood Creations, Bremner Built Knives, and we got a new one this week, steak, is that Steak? Snake. I'm sorry, Snake Branch Knife Works. So guys, we appreciate every one of you for helping contribute to the show and helping us put this thing out for you once a week. Every Tuesday, no matter what. We ain't missed one yet. We're not starting now. So
2: thanks to everybody. We, ha- we did miss one.
0: Did we miss one?
2: We missed one, and it ended up coming out on, like, a Thursday. Uh, we were, yeah. I think that's
0: when we were moving studios, right?
2: Yeah. some Something, something like, like that.
1: that. But, yeah. Um, Tortuga Blades, he won the bid on the Blade Show Knife, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Yeah. He's been on the show
0: before. Yeah, he's a super cool guy. Yeah. And obviously, guys, you know if you need some abrasives, go to phoenixabrasives and use the promo code hustle ten for ten percent off. And uh, that adds up. That really, it's almost like getting free shipping. It's like buying them in person at Blade ten percent. That, that nobody orders three belts at a time. I know I don't. That abrasives order can get pretty expensive. <laughs> so, well, Josh, anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap this thing up, man? Again, we appreciate you coming on here. It's been fun.
1: No, I'm just happy that you guys are willing to talk to a crazy dude like me, and uh, thanks for having me on again, and keep kicking ass with the podcast, and uh, maybe we'll catch up again soon one of these days. I'm just happy uh, we were
0: able to get you on before all your your memories
1: of the Blade Show build wore off. Yeah, yeah, me too, (laughs) me too. I Actually, I'm going to this week do a recreation. I'm going to take that handle material that's left over from Flying Shark Knives, and I'm going to remake the knife with that material and the pins from chance uh, knife making.com. So look for that in the next week or so. I'll have a video of that coming out and um, I'll uh, maybe I'll send you some behind the scenes shots as it's going. So you guys can pop out some stuff on your Instagrams and have a little bit of a back Um I appreciate you guys covering. You covered it before I did it. You covered it after. So I think that'd be cool to slip you some things while I'm making.
0: Oh, for sure, man. And if you had a good time today, shout us out on your page. That'd help us out a little oh, bit, get a little exposure.
1: Well, yeah, 100%. It's going out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. We're going to wrap this thing up. Thank you, everybody, for listening,
1: and we'll do it again next week. Yeah, man. Happy 4th of July. Happy
2: 4th of July. America. You fireworks, or at least America. Watch, so. yeah. America. America. (laughs) (laughs) That's not America. (laughs) Keep on hustling and keep on grinding. (laughs) That was a good one. Oh, yeah. That was more of a chicken than an eagle, but...